This podcast is intended for mature audiences and could be triggering to some. Please use discretion while listening. This week, we are focusing on the power of therapy. Kayla told us about starting therapy, and while she was resistant at first, she really started to enjoy the self-care tools her therapist was teaching her. During this time, Kayla started journaling her thoughts and emotions daily, which is great for us because we can look back and really understand what she was experiencing during this difficult time. For Kayla and I, this was the hardest episode to record in the whole series. We shed a lot of tears and it took a lot of takes, but in a strange way, this was kind of a therapy session for the two of us. And I'm so glad that we have it recorded and that this is something that we can look back on and have forever. I want to commend Kayla for being extremely brave and open for sharing these intimate thoughts and details with all of us. Grab a tissue box because you might need it. And thank you so much for listening. I'm Rachel Metacroft, and this is It Doesn't End Here. At the beginning of October, uh, we had some things planned and I remember we were kind of like house shopping for decorations and we had already gotten some furniture and some decorations, but it was a big house. And so we needed a lot more things. And I was just really excited about the fact that I was getting to decorate the house because I had actually never decorated a house, even being married. I never decorated house. I never put things on the walls anywhere I've lived. I've just like got the basic things that I needed. So I was like, oh no, I was just really excited to decorate and all that. At the same time, I, I don't know why. I mean, I know why, but I guess like we were talking about me getting a boob job. Obviously he wanted them (laughs) to be bigger. I had already had one. So like they were okay. Like I kind of, always thought, you know, they could have been a little bit bigger. I should have gone a little bit bigger or whatever. But he just kept saying, let's get you a boob job. Let's get you a boob job. And I was like, I would rather have furniture for the house. And he was like, we can do both. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know if that's a good idea. Like getting a boob job in California was going to be twice the price as the original amount that I had spent. And so I was just never really comfortable with like, I was like, let's just do the furniture thing first. And then later down the road, I can do that. Like I don't need that right now. <laughs> I, I need furniture and I need decorations, you know, to, to furnish this house. Well, he was just kept saying, we'll be able to do both. Like stop worrying about it. So I got a boob job and I was really happy with them. Like I, I love them. <laughs> They're my babies. <laughs> but later down the road, I never got one piece of furniture or one more decoration for the house. Not one. Because he just kept saying, well, you can do both. And then of course that didn't end up being true. So, uh, so I was very frustrated with that. I just like kind of regretted that. I kind of regretted that like for a while. I don't now because now I don't live in that house (laughs) and I have bigger boobs, but Um, so anyway, and then Rachel, you know, this, So, 
Hold on. So you got a boob job, but with without him putting that in your head, would you have got a boob job on your own? No, not on my own. No. I mean, I'd already had one. I know. So you were like happy with the way you looked. Yeah, I was before. Yeah, I was. Pretty, that is yeah. that like makes me sick that he was yeah. not happy with the way you looked and the size of your boobs. Like just yeah. to be clear, you had like I thought you had big boobs before. I mean, they were yeah, they were fine. They were I I had a boob job before, so they were perfectly fine. Like I could have went the rest of my life with those and been fine. I do remember when you told me that you were getting a boob job or you guys were talking about it and whatnot, and you just were like, yeah, I just want them to be bigger. And I did think it was strange because you have never really told me that before. Yeah. So when you called me and you told me that you were going to get a boob job, I kind of just was like, I already knew that he wanted you to have the boob job because of what he said in France. He said in France, that's the first thing we're going to fix. Mm-hmm. So we already knew he wanted this for you, mm-hmm. but that actually makes me just like sick. Yeah. For months I was like, I don't need that. I want furniture. And he kept telling me I could have both, but had I known the next couple months that I would have bought one single piece of furniture or one single <laughs> decoration, I would have, I, 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 yeah, I regretted that after a while. I was like, why did I do that? Why did I let him like put that in my head? So did he ever make you feel like self-conscious about your body? I mean, I was always kind of being hard on myself because of how I've looked in the past and how I was kind of just treating my body and not really ever, I would get really lean and how I wanted of like a photo shoot. But then the rest of the time I felt I didn't really feel that great. I mean, I think there were a couple of instances, yeah, where he would never like say, you need to change this, you need to change that. But he would encourage me to like work harder on myself or it was always a constant like topic that would come up of like how disappointed I was in myself. And he never, but he never would say, oh, you're perfect the way you are or you look great. I never got the impression that he was like, you're beautiful no matter what. Like, I never got that. But I also didn't get the complete opposite where he was like, you need to change, you know? So it's kind of like in the middle. It's kind of like, yeah, let's do this. Let's fix that. Like, you want to look this way? You want to do that? Let's do it, you know? Fix, though. Yeah. Let's fix that. Uh-huh. So then all of October, he was like, okay, we're going to do a trip to New York and then we're going to go to London. That was the plan for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the whole thing was like, we had one of our business partners had an office in London. So the thing was like, we were going to do a trip to New York for a little bit and then come to London. And that was the plan for as long as I could remember. And, but like nothing was being booked and nothing was (laughs) happening and time kept getting closer and closer. And your 30th birthday was October 31st. And the plan was to be in London on your birthday. And it's, you know, kind of getting to the middle of October and we don't have a lot of money and we don't have anything booked. And, but he kept saying, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Like it's going to happen. Well, then like a week out of from your birthday or like the week out from when I was supposed to be going, he told me, sorry, we can't go. And I was like, I'm going. (laughs) So however 
you got to figure this out. You have promised me and promised me over and over that this is happening. And had I known you would fuck it up yet again, I would have booked this myself a long time ago. So I remember him being so mad that I still wanted to go and that he wasn't going to get to go or like whatever. So he did like after a fight and after like much convincing, I had to convince him to still let me go. And so he did, you know, pay for me a flight to get there, but it was 72 hour trip, 10 hours each way and there for 72 hours, which was obviously very great because I got to be there for your birthday and we still had a great time, but a lot of stress started to come back up because I was just starting to get this weird feeling of like, okay, we're going to about to be in that same position that we were in all of 2018. You know, this is October, 2019. And we had, you know, we've gotten better with like the business and stuff like that and had a lot of milestones, but I was just getting this weird feeling that this is not this is not good. (laughs) So I was able to come, but on a very tight budget yet again. Um, And I think that's maybe the reason why that the trip was so short. Cause it was like, I can't, I couldn't be there for like a week and not have any money to spend or anything like that. So, and I got to go and I got there. I think I get there on your, like the morning of your birthday or no, I got there the morning before your birthday, the day before. Cause I remember at midnight when you were at your house and we celebrated at midnight. I mean, I kind of knew like all of our trips had been pretty short before as well that he had, you know, allowed you mm-hmm. <laughs> to come visit me. Um, so I wasn't that surprised when it was going to be a short trip. Yeah. And totally worth it. I mean, I would go for one night if I had to, but I was like, it's her 30th birthday. I am going no matter what. So, and we had so much. We did. Fun. We definitely made the most oh of it. Oh my god! Oh my god! It was like one of the most fun weekends of my oh, whole life. I still, I know. <laughs> we did book us a room. You know, through points though. Like obviously, we racked up so many points living in a freaking hotel for seven months. So we had a lot of points. So he did. He was able to book us a room. So that was nice, and that was fun. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was fun. I didn't like that it was like, yeah, that he got us the hotel room and stuff, but whatever. I was just like, at this point, I think I just kind of was like, it's a free room on my birthday. Whatever. I just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just like had to like roll with it. It was just like, whatever. I can't be mad about this. Um, And we had such a good time, but I did notice that trip. Um, I asked again every time I could be around you, I would just ask you tons of questions. And Again, you know, just asking you about what was going to happen with the business and your house and just everything. And you just, again, really wouldn't let me in. Like I couldn't tell what was happening. I just really was in the dark and you were just always had a smile on your face. (laughs) Always like, no, everything's great. Everything's great. It's like, ugh, fine. You're like, fine. One day I'll get to her. Yeah. I was like, I just want you to tell me it's not great. And I would be like, yes, thank you. Tell me, tell me more. (laughs) My instincts are right. (laughs) While I was in London, he actually did have a business meeting, an investment meeting, and he did get a very large investment. They agreed to do so much money 
and it was actually closing out the cap table of the investment that we needed. Apparently, the money was supposed to be transferred or wired or whatever on November 12th. So this is, you know, October 31st. And we're, you know, down to the wire again with finances. I mean, that's the reason why I had to do such a short trip and they get really tight. And so I'm like, okay, like two weeks, like we can do that. Two weeks, we'll have a lot of money in the account. So whatever. I think I was, I was fine with that. So, you know, November 12th, um, but I still had a lot of triggers just coming up, a lot of like reliving the past and a lot of worries and fears and anxiety because... <laughs> we had the majority of the time spent the time not great. And then we were finally getting better. But I just had this inkling of like, I don't know, I'd really just had a bad feeling. So, so November 12th comes along and nothing's happening. No phone call, no wire, no transfer, no nothing. So, and that should have been my first warning sign because like, I was like waiting up until that day. Okay, November 12th. And then nothing happened. And I I probably started freaking out at this point. We were just so distressed all over again. Just the exact same feelings were coming up from 2018 all over again. So I was just not doing well mentally or emotionally or anything. At this point, I had really gotten into journaling. Like I said, I had started therapy in March. And it did take me a couple of months to really get in the habit of journaling. But at this point, I was every single day (laughs) journaling. And I was looking back on these journal entries recently. And I was in tears. Like I, I can't even believe that I was in the situation that I was in or my mentality or mentally how I was to feel like none of these journal entries are are positive. And if they were positive, it's like I was forcing myself to write down, I will get through this. I will get through this, you know? Here's Kayla's journal entry from November 14th, 2019. Mr. Wannabe and I had a fight that continued on from the night before. At this point, I feel as though we are very disconnected right now in our relationship. He puts most of his energy in the business, which I'm fully aware is important. My main focus has been myself, emotionally mostly. There is almost zero effort put into our relationship as a couple. At this point, I feel worried, stressed, anxious about the timing of investments coming in as they were supposed to come in two days ago. And now it looks like it won't be until the 30th of November. When I have more information, instead of being left in the dark, I feel more centered and calm. I do not like uncertainty. Mr. Wannabe's energy and things he says reflect on me. Sometimes he says, there's no money, the credit cards are maxed out, and then the next week we'll say something completely opposite. So I don't know what to think and I get confused. What were you feeling when you wrote this journal entry? At this point, I was just, I was angry. I was mean. I was angry. Like I said in the beginning, like all of my emotions are still just very parallel with the business. And so whenever all of this started to seem to be coming crashing down again, I felt like I was mentally crashing down. Our relationship was very, very tense. We were not on good terms. We were just fighting and bickering a lot. 
And, you know, I admit I wasn't the best either, but we both were just not being great towards each other. And looking back at this one, I think it's just like I thought when things got better, that would fix everything and we would be fine. But that's, you know, that's not how a relationship should go. You should be fine no matter what is happening in life, goods, bads, ups and downs. But it was, I I just remember thinking this all the time, like, if this would just happen, we would be better. (laughs) We would be happy. We would be fine. We, you know, and so I was always like, if we could just get this money in, we would be so much better because all of our stress seemed to be coming from this situation. You didn't look at it as our relationship isn't working. You looked at it as the fact that we're having money problems. That's the problem Mm -hmm. is the money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is a very, financial stress is very stressful. It is. It's like one of the most common stressors for marriages and divorces, you know. Uh, I mean, and I've never been in this situation, but I, and I even believe like, you know, and when you, you know, they say, if you want something to happen, you need to believe it's going to happen. So I was just believing it was going to happen because I wanted it to happen. I wasn't going to not believe it or, or, you know, just think positive thoughts. It was like, I need to believe this will happen. So it will come true. So this November 12th transfer of funds has now turned into December. So again, just very on edge, very stressed, high, high adrenaline, triggering feelings all the time. The same feelings that I had felt, you know, all of 2018 were just coming rushing back. And I thought that this was in the past. I thought I had already climbed this hill. I thought this was, that was it. I was like, okay, we made it. And now it seemed to be someone just pushed me right back down to the bottom. Here's Kayla's journal entry from December 2nd, 2019. It's been about a month since I've been able to see my therapist. This has been a really hard month, and I can't seem to get on track with my emotional well-being or even put into words what's going on and what I'm feeling. Mr. Wannabe thinks I've been off since my family has come and gone, which sounds about right. I feel empty. I feel frustrated. I feel anxious. I feel confused. I feel tense and buried. I'm not sure if it's solely because I don't feel like I have let go of the past, I feel bad for my family, and in a way, I don't know if that is the main cause of my feelings. I have mixed emotions about my dad, and I don't want to sugarcoat anything else for him. I want to tell him straightforward how I feel. Also, I feel stressed from the high dysfunction of my siblings. In a way, I feel responsible for them and making sure they don't, quote, fall off the deep end. So in reference to that, my family, my siblings had come into town I've already kind of discussed what my family has gone through. And then after that, we all just kind of splintered off. Like I went and moved and did my own thing. And so every time I'm with my siblings or family, I feel like, like they are, like we're highly dysfunctional. Like we have not processed anything. No one's healed. Everyone, we all splintered off and we just actually grew apart as opposed to getting closer from like what happened to my mom and everything with my dad. And so when they came and visited, I guess maybe I had like 
I don't know. I guess I was kind of just in like a horrible mood after that, but it was also like everything was just coming crashing down again. They came and visited, but then the money situation was getting worse. And then I visited you and then the investments weren't coming in in November. So just everything again, a perfect shit storm of kind of just seeing my family. And like, I feel like I can't really open up or talk to them or we can't, like, we don't talk about our feelings. So like, that's obviously very hard. And then just all of that at the same time. So that journal entry, I think was kind of me like coming into, well, maybe I'm feeling like this because my family just came in town and now I have all of these like repressed, suppressed motions about that, that I need to work through. Here's what April had to say about the sibling weekend in LA. They, you know, made up a room for me and my brother and his wife and our nephew came. And uh, I'm, he was just so mean. He was so mean. I'm very protective of my family, but this guy just kind of intimidated me. So I wasn't going to, I never said anything or was going to say anything, but I mean, I remember he called my nephew the devil. Oh my God. At one point he wanted my nephew to shut the hell up. How old was your nephew at this time? He was three. Right. And you can just tell that Mr. Wannabe was on edge around him. And I guess he had a nightmare before we got in that our nephew stayed with them in California and got some crayons or markers and drew all over the white furniture. Mr. Wannabe had that dream and let everyone know how nervous he was to have a kid in the house. Okay, so pretty much saying like, Make sure the kid doesn't do anything. Yes. Of course, nothing happened with the markers or whatever they yeah. were. But Mr. Wannabe had no patience. No patience. My sister-in-law doesn't take the quickest time to get ready. But then also, they have a kid. So I am usually ready pretty quick. And I've had to sit and wait for them while sitting in the living room with Mr. Wannabe. And as I'm waiting for everyone else to get ready with him, and I mean, that's just typical. Like, I just don't really care what I look like. So I just throw clothes on, throw a little bit of makeup on, and I'm ready. So we're in the living room, and he was just complaining and complaining. And he's like, oh, my gosh, this is ridiculous. Like, just so impatient And then, you know, everyone got ready and we got in the car and, um, there was something in the car. It was, oh, it was, um, car seats that they had brought and it was in the car and it was in the way. And so Mr. Wannabe told my brother to put it somewhere. I can't remember. Well, my brother didn't put it where Mr. Wannabe told him to put it. And I'm sitting in the car and, Mr. Wannabe, I can't even remember what he said, but he basically just called my brother an idiot. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, you're like, 
I didn't say, I didn't tell you to put it there. He didn't say that to him. He said it while my brother was out of the car. I mean, I could tell, you know, my brother was kind of on edge. Like he really wanted to impress this guy. I mean, because this guy just seems so successful. And my brother is very smart and he wanted to start his own app or he does want to start his own business. And so I could tell he's like kind of like sweating around him. I just remember that moment. I wanted to say something so bad for talking about my brother like that. Because again, I'm so protective of my family, but I didn't. And that was basically the sum of the trip. It was just him being impatient. We did have a dinner alone, me, him, and Kayla. And I remember him saying that he wanted her to change her name. But she uses her last name for her business. Changing her last name, would she would have to rebrand her entire business. I remember, I was like, so what, are y'all wanting to get married? What? And he was like, no, I mean, she can just go and change her last name to my last name. I was like, okay, that's weird. Like, Oh, I didn't know this. Yes. And I could tell that there was, that he had resentment for her keeping his, her ex's last name. And mm-hmm. he, I mean, and he didn't even say it like, I want her to do this. He said it in a way that she's going to do this. She's eventually going to do this. There was not, it wasn't an option for her. She needed to change her last name. And I was just like, wow, this is the second time I've ever met you. And this is kind of weird. It's the big demand that you're going to make of my sister. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Uh, I saw him be pretty mean to Kayla too while I was there. I can't even remember what, but I remember he was very like. Is he controlling? Oh, yeah. Just the way he talked to Kayla and told her what to do. And it was just like, are you dumb to talk to my sister like that in front of her family? Like, I get it. Some relationships, you know, you get a little upset and you, you know, say some mean things. But to just be comfortable enough to talk to her like that in front of our family was very shocking. And that's Mm -hmm. when I started to just not like him in general, because I mean, I mean, that's pretty bold to, to do in front of her family. Here's Kayla's journal entry from December 5th, 2019. Today is my first day back with my therapist. I'm actually writing in this in her house while waiting. I'm so excited to get back to this and talking with her. I want to get back to the beginning of everything. It's very stressful to be at the house and around Mr. Wannabe right now. I know this is only temporary, but temporary stress at that. We are both on edge. I kept myself calm and centered today when we had a slight argument, so that was an improvement. I hate seeing him so worn out, beat down, and sad. I feel helpless for him, and all I can do is try my best to be there for him. 
hopefully I can start this overdue process with my therapist on figuring out my emotional issues surrounding my family, my past, my anxiety, and fear. Here's Kayla's journal entry from December 11th, 2019. Mr. Wannabe has been gone for a week. I feel really disconnected from him. We are both breaking down in our own way with all of the stress. I feel really pressured to keep up with, quote, my role, as he would state it. But I feel like he is not playing his, yet holds me to mine. But it's hard because in the current situation, someone else is keeping him from doing his. We will get through this together very soon. What do you mean by your role? All right. So in his eyes, he had a picture of what I was supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be the hot girlfriend or fiance or wife who takes care of herself, looks great, looks perfect head to toe all the time, and also takes care of the house and also just takes care of the planning and the booking the dinner reservations and booking the trips. Like he, at any time that I was like, Hey, do you want to go to dinner? He's like, that's not my job. That's your job. Are we going to dinner? I'm just like, I'm asking you if you want to go to dinner, because if you want to, then I will make the plan. (laughs) So that was quote my role. And he would constantly say that that's your role. That's your role. That's not my role. His role was making the money, going to work. And that is what, you know, fueled a lot of resentment in me is because he still held me to my role, even though he had failed at his role so many times over and over. I just wanted to be like, you are not doing your role. I'm not going to do my role if you're not doing your role. And so I put in there, you know, someone else is responsible for his role. But that's how it always was with him. He was never responsible. If something didn't go right, it was like, oh, that's not my problem. Like they didn't hold up to their promise or they didn't do what they were supposed to do. It was like never his fault with anything. But when it came to what I was supposed to be doing, if I didn't hold up to my role, <laughs> then it was I'm I failed or, you know, oh I'm not my doing my role. God, Kayla, that is actually making me ill. I kind of forgot about that until I just read that. That just shows how misogynistic and sexist he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's disgusting. Yeah. I, I actually forgot about that until I just read that until this is why keeping a journal, you guys, is very helpful <laughs> to be able to reflect and remember these kind of instances. I actually really forgot about how that. How does that make you feel right now? Oh my God. It makes me sick. Like you. I mean, it just is like, my role? What do you mean my role? My role is to be myself and a person and at the other half of you, like not, it's not like you don't delegate out, you know, tasks. I mean, you kind of do in a way, but not like that, like not to that extreme of like, okay, you're too quote unquote busy or you're too quote unquote big time to call and make a reservation for dinner. Like he didn't, and he didn't want to plan anything. He's, he like expected, this is what he would, he would say something about our social calendar. He'd be like, you're in charge of the social calendar. You make the plans with friends or dinners or anything like that. And I was like, first of all, they're only going to be my friends because you don't have any friends. So I mean, I can totally call my friends and see if they want to hang out. (laughs) Also, how are you supposed to do that when he, who's supposed to be making money in his role, isn't making any money. 
So if you exactly. have no money and you're broke, then how the hell are you supposed to, not that I condone this behavior, I'm just saying, how right. would you, how could he possibly expect you to fill this calendar of, you know, nice dinners and whatever and trips when you can't even go out to dinner yourself? I know. That's why I put, he's not holding up to his role, but expects me to hold up to mine. Here's Kayla's journal entry from December 13th, 2019. As a child, even so far back as to first grade, I can remember I always was a quiet, secretive child. I remember wanting to do things, even almost being forced to do things, but I was always afraid of what others may think or of being judged. I knew I wanted these things or to do certain things, but I was always ashamed for how I would look on the surface. I felt like I had to keep everything hidden or, quote, in line. I've done this my entire life. My parents would not allow me to do most things as it would come across badly to the outside world. I've pushed so much stuff far down. I feel like I can never reach it. I don't feel like I will ever. (sighs) Oh, girl. Sorry. No, it's good. This is part of the healing process. Okay. Um, I don't feel like I will ever be fully alive. Like I can live carefree without completely letting go of the thoughts of what others think. I never even thought of the emotion of shame being the problem, but I'm starting to think it may be. I've done a lot of shameful things and hidden most of them from a lot of people. To the point now where I feel numb. I feel numb to every emotion. I wish I could be more vulnerable. I wish I could be more expressive. I wish I could be more creative. I wish I could be peppier and lighthearted and happy. The last two years have been very shameful, and I have only pushed my emotions deeper down. But I'm working on finding my way again. I was happy meeting Mr. Wannabe. I remember the feeling of being able to fully open up to him, tell him my story. Then the shame came back when things started to take a turn financially. We had decided to move in together and start this process of the business and being a a team. I felt shame having to sell my car because we needed the money. I felt shame all the time from the way we were living. I didn't want to tell anyone or show anyone. He and I have always kept it together and made it seem like everything was going okay when really we were broken on multiple occasions, not being able to spend money for days and stretch out our food. I didn't want to meet new friends. You're doing great. I'm right here with you. Just... Take a breath. Oh my God, this is harder than I thought. Okay. I didn't want to meet new friends or be social, knowing I would have to answer questions about my life. What do you do? Where do you live? Want to meet for dinner or drinks, knowing I would have to check my bank account or answer questions about my life. I just wanted to hide all the time until things got better. 
<sighs> Things have been better in 2019, but not good enough for a long stretch of time to make any progress. I want people to know my struggles and be vulnerable to what scares me, but I feel like I can only do it after everything is okay. <sighs> oh my God. You felt like that always, like your whole life, or did you just really feel that just in those two years that you were with Mr. Wannabe? Just in those two years. But like I said, all of this from my past for 27 years was was coming up at the same time that I'm going through a hard, very hard circumstance and environment to be in. So it's like I was telling Green the other day, it's not like I kind of realized this when I was like in a good place in life and I was happy and I was like, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to take time to work on myself now. It was like, if I don't work on myself now, I don't know how I'm going to survive. But also I was just not in a good environment like at all. <laughs> I was doing like there were so many shameful things I was trying to hide while also trying to work through shame from the past. So that's like counterproductive. You're hiding, you're hiding your old shame with new shame. Right. Like, right. You can't do that. Doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so proud of you. That was really powerful. That's really powerful to like be able to see that in yourself. A lot of people wouldn't be able to see that in themselves. Right. Yeah. Oof, I was actually it was after I read this stupid <sighs> book. <laughs> I read this book called Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety. And I was like, oh my God. I have I honestly never thought of that before of the of shame. I don't know why. But then when I read that book, I was like, I have so much shame. And so that's when I really started I was journaling about that a lot. Like I was reading the book and like in the book there was exercises you could do to figure out if you had shame and how much shame you had and all that. And like, it was like mainly shame, a little bit of guilt and a little bit of anxiety, but mostly, mostly shame. So. Oh, do you feel better? You feel lighter? I do. I did not know that was in there. I just, you know, like I said, this is what journaling does. Like, wow. I can't, I'm so happy that you are not feeling that way anymore no you could never ever ever let yourself get to that again Mm -mm. no definitely not the journal entry i just read i just felt like maybe all of this emotion is something that i have not expressed and the only thing i could really think of that i was suppressing for a long amount of time was just those feelings i had towards my dad and about that whole situation. And for a long time, for a couple of weeks, he just kept being on my mind. And I, I don't really have a close relationship with my dad anymore. And it's definitely not at the time. So Mr. Wannabe was out of town again, doing some business, apparently. And I just remember waking up one morning at 7am and I was like, I texted my dad and I was like, hey, can you talk today? And right away he said, yes. And so I think I was like, okay, I'll call you in like an hour, an hour and a half. So I was very nervous. I knew that like, I was like, maybe if I just get this out of, like I just did with this journal entry, I was like, maybe if I just get this out, I will feel better. 
So I sat down, I had my phone and I had my computer. I recorded, I video recorded myself. Um, and then I had him on speakerphone. So I have <laughs> all the audio and video from this conversation. And I took a screenshot of my face before and after. And it is a huge difference. Like I was bawling my eyes out, crying like I just was. And at the end, I was like so much brighter. My eyes were not so, they were, you know, they were glowing and I felt better. Like I felt so much better after that conversation. I think it was like an hour long. And in the conversation, he was like, he was like, I have nothing to do for Christmas. He was like, what if I drove there into California for Christmas? And I was like, okay. And so we agreed that he would the next day drive. It's a 21 hour drive that he would drive and come stay with me um, on Christmas that year. And my relationship was not doing well. So I was a little nervous about the energy that would be, you know, in the house and, you know, and all that. But you know what? I was like, I don't care. I was like, that felt so good. I was like, maybe by him being here, it will help me heal even more. So I remember telling Mr. Wannabe that my dad was coming. He was pissed. He was pissed that he was coming. I don't know why I expected him to be like, wow, that's amazing. I'm so glad that you kind of rekindled that and that he's coming and maybe it'll be really helpful for you. Oh no, it was complete opposite. He even was on, he was coming home that night from wherever he was. And I had already, you know, we had decided I was going to go pick him up from the airport. And so I drive to the airport to pick him up, Mr. Wannabe. And he tells me to go home. He's like, I don't want you to pick me up. I'm going to get an Uber home. I don't want to see you. He was pissed. I have no idea why. I don't know if it was because he was stressed and like he just didn't want anyone in the house or if he, maybe he didn't want him to see his real side or I have no idea. He wants you all to himself all the time. He likes the fact that you are not super close with your family and that your siblings, you know, aren't around. No one's really in California. It's just you and him. And that's the way he likes it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your siblings came in October and he saw you be emotional about that. Maybe he just didn't want to deal with it. And he just, I mean, that's just selfish. That's just yeah, him but, being a complete, you know. <laughs> yeah, but him and I were so, so disconnected. So I honestly was like, I don't care what you think. Honestly, my dad's coming and that's the end of it. I don't know what else to tell you. So I remember like, so I left the airport and I was like, fine, whatever. Like, so it took him like an hour and a half to get home. I was like, are you happy? It took you an hour and a half to get home. And I was right there at the door and you didn't want to, you didn't want to see me. Okay. So then the next morning, you know, my dad, the next morning, my dad was coming. So he, I think he, we made amends and was like, oh, sorry. I was just really upset stressed, whatever he would say. And yeah, so my dad drove straight through like 21 hours, 22 hours. He got there at midnight on December 23rd. So I was very happy to see him. Like we woke up and it was Christmas Eve and it was kind of cool. Dad was there and 
So him and I just hung out alone. We did a lot of touristy things. He had actually never been to California now that I think about it. And so he, we went to did, went and did like the Hollywood sign and went to Malibu, uh, went and did a couple of, couple things and we had a great time and we talked a lot and I expressed to him a lot of my feelings, like especially about our childhood and how we were raised and how they didn't, like I said, emotion raised us very well emotionally. And, you know, we talked about a lot of good things and it was actually very therapeutic and healing for me. What did he think of Mr. Wannabe and did they get along? Well, my dad had already met Mr. Wannabe in September when we went to Oklahoma City. Uh, we had met for breakfast with him, but I do remember Mr. Wannabe again talking the entire time. And I was just sitting there with like my hand like on my face, you know, looking at him and I could look at my dad and just being like, this is not great. I mean, I don't know. It's just, and my dad is just so not like, he doesn't get impressed with like money or things or, you know, everything that Mr. Wannabe was saying, I could just tell he was so uninterested, but just trying to be like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, that's cool. But like, I, I just know that he was not, he didn't, he could give two shits, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. So when he came again, of course, like, I think there was a couple of instances, like in the morning time where they had both, they were both awake and like upstairs talking and I hadn't come up yet, but I don't know. I just, it was just awkward. Not, <laughs> it was just, yeah. It was just kind of like, okay, dad, let's, how can we get out of here as soon as possible and be gone as long as possible? You know, like, I think we went to one dinner and he was probably just talking all the things, business and whatever. Like he didn't really talk, have anything much to say other than what he was working on or what had he, you know, what he accomplished and all that. Here's Kayla's journal entry from December 31st. 2019. Mr. Wannabe is becoming more and more hostile. You can't do or say anything in the slightest insult around him. I'm being so much more positive and all he has is negativity, exhaustion, depression, cold, and sour. His bad energy is really weighing down on me. I want to be away from him when he is like this, which is about 90% of the time, as much as I can. He thinks I'm the unstable, angry, cold one when he is the one. I'm so tired of letting him make me think I'm like that when I'm not. I'm a positive, outgoing person. He is dragging me down. I have to get out of here as soon as possible. Nothing will ever change with him. He gets to have all of the outbursts he wants, and I'm still the one in the wrong and crazy. He is the childish one, not me. That New Year's Eve was very, very uneventful. I have, I remember I have a picture of him sitting at the dining room table working, and I'm pretty sure I fell asleep just before midnight, it was just like, meh, another holiday <laughs> gone to waste. But I was so excited because my girlfriends were coming into town for my 30th birthday and like around January 4th. So they had to come in about a week and a half early because you, Rachel, you know, where you were in town and you were, you couldn't stay that long, like up until my ber actual birthday. So we had had that weekend plan to celebrate my birthday a little early. So Oh, I was so excited for girl time. You have no idea. It was, it was great. So you guys got in. You and Stacy got in January fourth, I think, right? And yeah, yeah. And then so that weekend, what we had planned was we had a party at my house on Friday night, and then the plan was to we had a hotel booked on Saturday night, 
and yeah, spent all the day Saturday, like in Hollywood and go out that night. So let's talk a little bit about that weekend. Going into that weekend, you know, I think I was staying with you a little bit longer than the other girls. I was staying like five or six nights, Mm -hmm. I think. And so I knew I was going to have quite a bit of time at the house and I was like, I'm going in, have, this is the first time I'm going to be able to stay with them for a couple of days on at a time, be able to have any one-on-one time with Mr. Wannabe. And I'm going in and asking hard questions and I'm getting some answers. So I went into this thinking that the energy was going to be weird in the house. Um, I was kind of aware of obviously how cold and distant that he could be towards everybody. When we first got there, we walked in and he was very happy to see us. I remember you guys had lots of snacks. We had some champagne was already there and um, we had stuff kind of getting ready for the party. So he was in a good mood and he was kind of putting on a good face for all of us. After the house party, we were all dressed up and we were ready to go out. So we went to a bar that wasn't too far from the house. There's about 10 to 12 of us that went, including Mr. Wannabe. We all got drinks and we got appetizers and we were just having a good time. When we were ready to leave, we asked for the bill. And of course, Mr. Wannabe told everyone, don't worry, I'll get it. It's on me for Kayla's birthday. We all said thank you, obviously. And we just went home and that was pretty much the end of the night. The next day, we were getting all of our stuff ready to go into Beverly Hills for the day. I overheard Kayla and Mr. Wannabe talking and Kayla had asked for money for, you know, the weekend for us to go out to the bar and to go have food. Well, uh, Mr. Wannabe, I heard him kind of throwing back the fact that he bought everyone their drinks last night at the bar. And he said, no, I have spent all the money that I could spend on everyone last night. And I was like, I didn't, yeah, like everyone was happy to pay for their own freaking drinks. Like now I'm getting punished and not being able to have what I need because you had to be Mr. Showhoff yet again. Oh, no, no, it's okay. I got it. Like now I, now I can't have money that I need for food (laughs) or something, you know? (sighs) So we get an Uber and we go check in to our hotel in West Hollywood. That was like the, the, the craziest day. Not even aside all that drama, like the freaking fact that we were, okay, you guys, I don't know if you guys heard about that Ferrari crashing into pump restaurant. Like pump is the Lisa Vanderpump. It's, you know, they have a sh- whole show about it. We were eating brunch when this Ferrari crashed into the restaurant. Literally crazy. Like we had just gotten our food and I was like, I had a huge crash and I just, I literally thought every single bottle in the bar had fallen. I was like, what was that? It was just shattering glass everywhere. And then I saw a few girls like flying. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. We get up and we run over. Oh yeah. A car had driven into the side of the restaurant. So if you've heard about that, we were there to witness it. (laughs) That was crazy. It was that day in January, 2020. (sighs) 2020 just started off weird like this just right here first first couple days of 2020 (laughs) I was sitting in Beverly Hills and a freaking Ferrari drove through the restaurant and I survived (laughs) it okay you and Stacy were helping like the people who almost got hit yeah oh my gosh this poor girl she had glass all between her boobs and she was so cut up and um, Stacy is a nurse 
I am not a nurse, but I just have good instincts. So I was just like grabbing tablecloths and napkins and trying to like apply pressure. You know, I've watched enough Grey's Anatomy to know what to do. (laughs) So, so it was, it was nuts. After that, I had, my adrenaline was shot through the roof in that situation. The fire pit burners were still on like the propane tanks. So at one point somebody was screaming for everyone to get out of the building because they thought the building would, could Mm -hmm. explode. Oh my God. It was so stressful. So anyway, after yeah. We dealt with that. We go back in and we go like to the back bar and it's pretty much just us back there. And we're like, now we're just like, we need a drink. Yeah. So we're like flirting with the, you know, the cute bartenders, obviously, you know, they're all hot. So we're like, you know, and then we start having a great time. Then we went to dinner at catch and just continued to have fun. And then I was like, I want to go one place, the Abbey. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. So much fun. Can you please explain the very two seconds that we walked in? <laughs> I was about to say, I was about to say this. We walk in to first two seconds, like literally stepped one foot in the door. And this amazing gay man named D'Angelo looks right yes. at me, not the other girls. I know we're in a group of four, but he pointed to me and he was like, you. And he just walked right up to me and he just threw his arms around me. And honestly, we were meant to be like, it was love at first sight. It was was matchmate. Met D'Angelo and he got us right in, got us, you know, he was hanging out with people, got us drinks, whatever. And we ended up on the dance floor, of course. And this is where things get a little hazy, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) What happened? I have no idea. I don't know. I do know that you were, I could, you know, because I just know your limits, your eyes were, you were smiling, but your eyes were like half open. So I'm like, okay, okay, let's ground the girls and get us in the Uber and go back to the hotel room. So this is where we go back to the hotel and Kayla sort of had a mental breakdown once we got back to the hotel. Oh yeah. What do you, how would you describe what happened? Um, definitely in and out of consciousness, I would say. But yeah, I do remember some vivid parts. I, how I probably how I can explain it is obviously alcohol, you know, was involved in that already brings out a lot of emotions, but I had probably the biggest breakdown I've ever had. I was just crying profusely could not stop crying and I, I like I said it's just so in and out of memory but I remember we were all just on the floor you guys are huddled around me I'm just bawling my eyes out I just remember you being like what is wrong what is wrong and I'm just like I don't know and oh yeah. I did not know I needed to get something out I don't know what it was but I needed to get it out and it was just all coming out at once you were crying in the fetal position for a couple, for almost honestly, like an hour, nonstop. Couldn't get you to stop crying. I couldn't get you to drink water. I couldn't get you to do anything. And then eventually, probably propped you up. And it wasn't because you were drunk. She wasn't, I mean, yes, we had been drinking, but this was not due to the state of her being like passed out, wasted. That's not the situation. She was having an emotional panic attack. Stacy, being a nurse, you know, got you to sit up and we kind of got you, you know, to try and break you from like what was happening in your head because you were kind of locked in on whatever emotion you were feeling and you were, you just, we couldn't get you out of it. So I remember I was just kind of like holding you. I'm just like, hey, 
why are you upset? Why are you crying? What's are, What are you feeling? And we were able to finally get some words out of you. And you were saying how you felt so lonely and you were so sorry um, for not being there for everybody. And oh God, it was so hard for me to talk about. <laughs> it was really scary, honestly. I've never seen you like that. I didn't know what to do. And, you know, Stacy and Ashley are kind of letting me be the one to try to console you because I'm your lifelong, you know, friend and they didn't know what to do. And you wanted to call Mr. Wannabe really, really bad. And we, I did not want you to do this. Before we got you to start talking to us, we were all kind of at a breaking point, like, okay, maybe we should let her call him. Like, is he going to calm her down? Ugh, I'm kicking myself for doing it, but I did. I let you call Mr. Wannabe. It was very late. It was like 3, 30, maybe four in the morning at this point. I don't even know what time it was. So you called him and you were crying and he was on, I t- put it on speakerphone and he answered and he said, what? When he answered the phone. And then you said, you were crying and you said, you just said his name And he said, what do you want? And you said, I want you. And then I got on the phone because I could tell he was upset. And I was like, hey, you know, Kayla's really upset right now. She's just, I think that maybe just hearing your voice would help calm her down. Could you just kind of say some words to her to try and help calm her down? And then, you know, his tone with me, well, why is she upset? What did, what's going on? I said, you know, she just had we've just had a lot to drink. And I think that alcohol maybe has made her really emotional. I'm not really sure what's going on, but I just need you to try and say some loving words to her. Tell her she's okay. Tell her she's fine and try to just get her into a better headspace so we can try and help her. And he wouldn't do it. He just said, no, like, I don't, I don't care what's going on. Like, and he just hung up. And that right there, (laughs) like I was in a very desperate, dire situation to call him. And I, my gut instinct was telling me not to, but you know, we didn't really know what to do. And I went ahead and just thought, surely he can tell his girlfriend, like, babe, you're fine. You're fine. Just you're, you're stop crying. You're with your girlfriends. It's your birthday weekend. Like, like, you know, whatever he needs to say. And he wouldn't even say any, he wouldn't say anything, anything, you know, no concern. He clearly can hear you crying. He can clearly hear that it's 4 a.m. And I'm now on the phone with him. And that that is a very desperate situation for me to be in, to put you on the phone with him. And just like I knew I shouldn't have, it definitely came back to bite you because he was very upset about that situation. He was very upset that you were intoxicated and it was late and that you were calling him and bothering him with your emotional breakdown because you are an idiot pretty much. Mm -hmm. I do remember wanting to call him and being like, I just want to call him and you know, so I pleaded with you for like 45 minutes on this and you wouldn't stop. What is that? Why do you like, what is that? Is that just like, so I'm not attached. Like I, I just like, Honestly, babe, I think you have, you had some sort of Stockholm syndrome. You know, you were in love with your abuser. He's the only thing that you've known day in and day out for so long. 
I don't, I honestly don't know. I do feel like you were a bit like brainwashed. That's the only thing I could, I could put it. I'm like, he's mentally and emotionally and somewhat physically at times abusing her, but yet she cannot seem to fathom being away from him, even for one Mm -hmm. night. In my Mm -hmm. mind, I'm like, it's one night. We're in a hotel for one night. You're in the same city as him. We're 20 miles down the road and you're acting this way. And so for me, everything kind of clicked into place being like, okay, this is way worse than I thought it was. And I don't know what's going on, but it's really bad. Whatever it is, is really bad. And that was my confirmation. Because as I've said, leading up to this point, I've had a lot of questions, but I couldn't get any solid answers. I couldn't figure out what was actually happening or give me any clue. And this right here, was like gold. This was the biggest clue ever. Like you had a breakdown, his reaction to it, me seeing how badly you wanted to be with him, even though I could tell you were unhappy, but you couldn't get away. It it was, oh man, it was tough. It was really tough. Here's what Stacy had to say about Kayla's birthday weekend and that night in the hotel. That's the only time I've ever seen Kayla break down. Um, and I've seen her, you know, after her mother committed suicide, I've seen her through a divorce. I've seen her through huge moves and loss of jobs. And it's the only time I've ever seen her break down. And I mean, she's with her best friends in L.A., in a beautiful hotel. We just had a great night out dancing and she completely broke down. I mean, to the we we were all in shock, I think. I don't I had no idea what was going on. You know, it was a lot of apologies. She seemed to have a lot of apologies for everyone. Um that she wasn't there, that she wasn't a good friend, that she's just so lonely and Oh, it makes me almost cry sitting here, even I know. replaying it in my head because that just broke my heart that she felt that way. It was crazy. I've never ever seen, I've never really seen that reaction from anybody, but especially not her. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and I'm glad I did. I'm glad she got it out because like I said earlier, I was trying to rationalize everything to not get involved in her personal relationship. Cause if, she was happy in her personal time. I didn't want to be the one that was, you know, judging her relationship or her boyfriend or whatever. But the whole, you know, even leading up to that, it was a very strange weekend where he booked the room. He got he got the Uber. He, I mean, even to leave, he called us an Uber. He wasn't there. He was the one getting our Uber from a different, you know, from across town. And he had to give her money before we left. Like there was so much control in her night out with her friends, the girls night. It it just all seemed very strange. And it, you know, there's too many pieces to not put that together. You know, there's too many coincidences for it it to be just a coincidence anymore, I guess. You stayed like four more days and we went back to my house the very next day. I was depressed for that whole week. I was with you and you and I were both depressed. Like we were together, but the energy between us wasn't like it was normally. 
I think you slept like majority of the day and Stacy and I went out on the beach, just the two of us. And that's when her and I were like, this is, this is like dangerous territory we're in. Like she's now, we now know she's in an abusive, toxic relationship. 100%. We know this, we've witnessed it. What are we going to do to help her get out? I remember the day that I was leaving. Oh my God, it makes me want to cry just thinking about it. I just didn't know what to do. I was just trying so hard. I was, I just cried that day. <laughs> you remember when I went to the beach and we just like sat there and I was just crying. Yeah. We always, I mean, we always do that anyway when we leave each other, but that was probably like the worst time you had to leave me probably. I know. I left telling you he's not the one for you. I remember sitting there and I told you like, Hila, this isn't normal. I feel really, it's really tense. He's really serious. I don't like the way he talks to you. I don't like the the money control. I think this was the first time I probably came clean about how I had been feeling mm-hmm. after the hotel incident and being with you that week. So while I was like terrified to leave, at least I had like said what I wanted to say and you kind of knew where yeah, I stood. I, didn't we even talk about, I think at this point, I was talking about how I didn't want to be with him. And remember I kept like saying these opportunities maybe of like, remember I was like talking about maybe moving to Nashville. I was like, I think I might reach out to so-and-so and like try to move to Nashville. You know what I mean? So like I, yeah. really, I really was in that headspace. I was in the headspace of like fantasizing about freaking leaving, but also at the same point had no way <laughs> to leave. So yeah, like, I was definitely in that headspace of like, like I even put my journal like in December I need you to get out of here as soon as possible. Which was really promising to me. That was the only like little bit of hope I had. All the other times I thought you were just stuck and brainwashed. Right. You had had some sort of realization. Yeah. Another week had gone by and January 23rd was the day that forever changed everything. I mentioned how I thought Kayla was either brainwashed or suffering from some form of Stockholm Syndrome. Upon further research, I came across a term called trauma bonding. Trauma bonding is a unique form of manipulation, which is defined by repetitive behaviors in which a narcissist operates within a cycle of abuse, resulting in an attachment bond or trauma bond that is strengthened with every repeated misdeed. Oftentimes, victims or survivors experience mixed feelings for a partner who behaves abusively. It's completely valid to still feel love for someone with whom you've invested so much time and energy into building a relationship with. After all, it probably wasn't the abusive behavior that ignited the attraction to begin with. Even after the abusive behaviors begin, we know leaning into these feelings of love, compassion, and hope can help us cope with the violence in short term. That being said, we also know that abusive behaviors tend to escalate over time, so using these feelings as coping mechanisms can have detrimental impacts in the long term. Victims of abuse often say that their abusive partners exhibit good behaviors too. Many survivors comment that their partners are perfect or wonderful 90% of the time. It's just that 10% of the time that's a problem. 
However, the positive behaviors actually enable the abusive behavior to continue and escalate because they make it so hard to honor the impulse to leave when the abuse occurs. If your partner were abusive to you all the time and never said anything respectful or kind, you probably wouldn't stick around. The good behavior, in other words, is what fosters the attachment that makes getting away from an abusive partner feel so painful and difficult. Biologically speaking, the bonds we develop originate from our infantile dependency on someone else for survival, usually our primary caregiver or parent. Survival is the foundation of human attachment, so when safety is threatened, i.e. trauma, we naturally turn to someone seen as a caregiver in our lives, someone who provides support, protection, and care. When this bonding occurs, oxytocin, often called the love hormone, is released in our brains, furthering comfort and attachment with the caregiver. In adult relationships, this caregiver is often our significant other. We can see how trauma bonds occur. When the person we regard as our significant other, the caregiver, is also the one creating trauma by threatening our safety through abusive behavior. Given that we are hardwired from birth to an attachment figure when threatened, we naturally turn to our romantic partners when abuse occurs, even if they are the ones who are being abusive to us. This leads us feeling bonded to them. We also have a tendency to try to make sense of our experiences, and so we work hard to understand the disconnect between our abusive partner's caring and harmful actions. This rationalization strengthens the bond further. On top of all of that, abusive partners often promise change and actively tend to the wounds they create, precisely at the moments when they feel most vulnerable and hurt. It is no wonder that victims of abuse feel strongly connected to their abuser and have a hard time imagining a life without them. I want to say thank you to our listeners all over the world. The podcast has only been out for a few weeks and we have received lots of messages from women who can relate to Kayla's story. I'm currently looking for future seasons of It Doesn't End Here. If you or someone you know has a story that needs to be told, I want to hear it. Please send me an email and who knows, your story might help other women get out of a very similar situation. Next month, Kayla, Stacy, and I will be together for the first time this year. It's been 10 months and it's going to be one hell of a reunion. We'll be doing a Q&A session to discuss the season, get a life update on Kayla, and hear from our listeners. If you have a question for Kayla or myself, please email info at itdoesntendherepodcast.com. All the music on this season is done by my amazing and talented friend JT, who refuses to share his music with the world, so for now, this is the only place you can hear it. It Doesn't End Here was written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, Rachel Meadowcroft. I am not a doctor or a therapist. If you or someone you know is in a trauma bond with their partner, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE.